Today's scripture reading is from Zephaniah 3, verse 14 to 20. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion, do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame, I'll gather the exiles, I'll give them praise and honor in every land that they have suffered shame. At that time, I'll gather you. At that time, I'll bring you home. I'll give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. My wife and I have a friend who was a professional singer, and years ago she was in the cast of a Broadway musical, uh, which to me sounds very glamorous, right? And obviously it's a great achievement to get a job like that, but uh, I remember her telling me once how uh, grueling that life can be, to be in a, in a Broadway show. It's a very demanding schedule. So as some of you may know, if you're in a Broadway show, eight times every week, no matter how you're feeling, you got to perform. You got to get up there on stage, put a smile on your face, and if it's a musical, you have to sing. And it doesn't really matter what's going on in your life. If you're tired, you got to sing. If your throat hurts, you got to sing. If your dog just died, you got to sing, right? If you just had a fight with your boyfriend, you lost your keys, your toilet is clogged, whatever's going on in your life, it doesn't matter. When it's showtime, you got to give 110% and you have got to sing. And uh, let's face it, there are times in anyone's life when you don't feel like singing, right? Especially if you're called upon to sing a song of joy. Well, well, Zephaniah chapter 3 addresses the people of Israel at a, a moment in their history when they did not feel like singing. Zeph Zephaniah was a prophet who lived during the final years of the kingdom of Judah, and he prophesied to the people that because they were drifting from God, because of their sin, their nation would be destroyed. They would be conquered by their enemies. They would be dragged off into captivity. They would be separated from their homeland. And for many, many years, they would live in exile. In chapter 3 of his book, Zephaniah looks ahead prophetically to that the generation of Hebrews whose whole lives whole lives would be spent in exile. You know what he says to them? Sing. 
Sing, verse 14, sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel, be glad, rejoice with all your heart. He says, sing. Now, how in the world are they going to do that? How are you going to sing when you don't feel like it? Your whole life is falling apart. When you're in exile, well, in this passage, this is a beautiful passage to sort of to help his people find their song again, to help them find their voice and begin to sing again. The, the prophet, Zephaniah, he explains to them three promises that God made to them in their exile, three amazing promises. And if you're not feeling much like singing this Advent season, here's what's amazing. These three promises are also made to us in Jesus Christ. So to help them sing, the first promise that the prophet describes is he says this. Here, he says, here's the promise. He says, the Lord will forgive you. The Lord will forgive you. Verse, verse 15, he says, the Lord has taken away your punishment. You could translate that. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Now, in the context of Zephaniah, this is astonishing. Earlier in this chapter, the prophet, the prophet explained why the people of Jerusalem deserved God's punishment. They did. He said they were rebellious. They were defiled. He said they constantly rejected God's correction. He said they refused to trust in the Lord. In chapter 1, we read that many of the Israelites were worshiping pagan idols. They were, they were bowing down to the stars in the heavens. They were invoking the names of foreign gods. They deserved to be punished by God. And isn't it amazing? The prophet here says in verse 15, he just says, guess what? He says, Israel, you know what? The Lord, he's going to take all of that punishment away. All of it. He says, all the judgment you deserve, all the condemnation that is rightfully yours, he says, it will be gone. M middle of verse 17, he says, in his love... The Lord will no longer rebuke you. Now, literally, you, you would translate that, in his love, the Lord will make himself quiet. The Lord will quiet himself. Uh, um, I wonder if you've, uh, have you ever um, apologized to someone for something you did? You, you, know, you hurt their feelings, did something wrong. You say, oh, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And they say they forgive you. But then they just keep bringing it up. Again and again, for years. Remember that time you broke a promise? Remember that time you let me down? Remember that time I loaned you my car? You packed into a light pole? Remember that time? Remember that time? Remember that time? You know what? The prophet, the prophet here, he's saying, Israel, listen, no longer will God remind you of your past sin. He says he's not even going to remind himself. He won't. He will, in his love, he will quiet himself. Um, the, the classic edition of the Amplified Bible translates that phrase this way. It says, the Lord will rest in silent satisfaction, and in his love, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. That, He's saying, this is a promise. You're having a hard time singing. I know, I know it's been rough. He said, but here's a promise. The Lord, your God, will forgive you. And did you know, I bet you did, that that's 
exactly what God does for those who turn to Him with faith in Jesus. Isn't that true? No matter how they failed, how many times they failed, no matter how they're still struggling. You know what it says in Colossians 2? It says, God made you alive with Christ. Who's that talking to? It's talking to anyone who's trusted in Jesus. It says, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So to these these exiled people who have been called upon to sing, but how are you going to sing the the Lord's song in a a strange land? How are they going to do that? Zephaniah says, well, let me help you find find your voice. Let me help you find your song. Promise number one, the Lord will forgive you. And then he says, promise number two, he says, the Lord will defend you. The Lord will forgive you. The Lord will defend you. And this is, in our context, this is really important for us to notice. See, in, in, uh, in North American Christianity, the typical gospel presentation focuses on the Bible's solution to sins that you have committed against God. And that's important, all right? But the focus will be the Bible's solution to the sins you have committed against God. But when you look in the Bible, you'll discover that God is also concerned with the sins that others have committed against you. Did you know that? That The Bible again and again, it makes this crystal clear. It says that God cares about victims. Victims of abuse, victims of exploitation, victims of oppression, and just injustice. God cares about, about victims. And that truth, that thought, oh man, that was so unspeakably important to the exiled generation of Hebrews, the exiled Israelites. You see, the Babylonians who, who conquered the, the people of Judah, they were vicious, violent oppressive, cruel people. Now, it is true that the people of Judah were sinners, but they were more than just sinners. We're all sinners, but everyone is more than just a sinner, right? They were also people who had been sinned against. And some of you know what that feels like, don't you? And throughout this passage, God keeps saying to his people who have been the recipients of injustice and abuse and violence and hurts, he keeps saying to them, I am on your side. I am in your corner. I have got your back. I will defend you. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel, be glad, rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. Why? Why should we sing to the Lord, they say? Well, look at the middle of verse 15. It says, because the Lord has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. Verse 17, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Verse 19, at that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. Verse 20, at that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. God is saying to his, his, um, his hurt, abused, oppressed people, I will defend you. In, in, uh, in 1675, 
a very fierce war broke out between the, the Puritan settlers of the Massachusetts Bay Colony and the Narragansett Indians on whose land those settlers had come to live. Very, very fierce, bloody war. There was a nearby tribe of Indians called the Nipmucks, and the Nipmucks were not involved in that conflict in any way. They were very peaceful people. They, they had peaceful relations with, with the British. In fact, a, several years before this war, the entire tribe of Nipmuc Indians had converted to the Christian faith. Someone preached the gospel to them. They responded with trust in Christ. They accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the entire tribe. But when this war broke out, the settlers said, those Nipmucks, they may be peaceful, they may be Christians, but at the end of the day, they're still Indians. So they rounded up the entire tribe of Nitmucks and they exiled them to a little barren island in the uh, Boston Harbor called Deer Island. To, left them there to wait till the end of the war. That winter, one half of the Nitmuck Indians died from starvation and exposure to cold. Up to a thousand of our brothers and sisters died in exile. Now, if we had a time machine and we could send you back in time to preach to the Nipmuc Indians on Deer Island, what would your gospel presentation be? Would, would you say, good news, Jesus died for your sins. I hope you would say that because that's such an important part of the gospel message. Everyone in the world, even those who are victimized, have sinned against God and need to be told how to be restored to a relationship with the Father. Everyone deserves to hear that. I hope your gospel presentation would include that, but don't you hope that our gospel would not end with that? Because the gospel is a lot more than just that. What, what, is the, what is the message of the gospel? Christ died for our sins, right? Christ rose for our justification. But then the good news, the gospel goes on, doesn't it? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And the return of Jesus, listen, is just as much part of the good news as his atoning death is, especially for those of you who have been hurt. When, when, listen, when Jesus returns, God will fulfill every word of Zephaniah 3.19. He says, at that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. You see, God, God is concerned about the sins we've committed against him, right? But he's not only concerned about that. He's not only concerned of, of, of the sins that his people have committed against him. He's also concerned about the sins committed against his people. So can I just say to you, if you were abused, if you were abandoned, if you were lied to or slandered or forgotten or mistreated, listen, 
in Christ, God makes the very same promise to you that he made to the exiled people of Israel. He says, I'm the mighty one, the mighty warrior. I am with you. I will defend you. I wonder if they were starting to feel like singing. Didn't feel like it at first, but the prophet says the Lord will forgive you. And he says the Lord will, will defend you. And then he says one more promise. This is the one where you find your song. He says the Lord will delight in you. Verse, verse 17, he says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Who, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that, what a phrase, he will rejoice over you with singing. When John Calvin read, read that phrase, what came to his mind, he says he thought of a husband singing a love song to his wife. When, when I hear that phrase, what I think of, I think of a mother um, holding her infant in her arms and singing a lullaby of love over her child. And I don't know what picture Zephaniah had in mind when he wrote this, but clearly this, this, this statement here, the Lord will rejoice over you with singing, this is, an, this is an expression of what? An expression of personal delight. This is, this is talking about more than just acceptance. God accepts you because of the death of Jesus. That's true and that's wonderful, but this is more. And, and, and it's more than, than a statement of forgiveness. God forgives you because that's his nature. He's a forgiving God. That's wonderful. But this is more. Can I even say this is more than a statement of love? Sometimes that can feel a little hollow. God loves you, but he loves everybody, right? He is love. That's his job. This is even better than that. Believer in Christ, this is saying that when God thinks about you, he feels happy. And he's thinking about you all the time. This is, this is a declaration of delight, of pleasure, of affection, of joy. It's saying that God feels joy, believer. Because of you, the Lord will rejoice over you with singing. When I was uh, in high school, in the church where I grew up, I asked if I could join the church choir, and they, they let me. They, they would let anybody into the choir. They let me in, and it uh, quickly became apparent that I, I was struggling. I, I couldn't uh, find the harmony. I, I couldn't sing the notes. I didn't know exactly when I was supposed to come in, when I was supposed to wait, let other people sing. It's just I really had a hard time. So early on, after joining the choir, one, one, uh, we always had choir practice every Wednesday night after prayer meeting. One Wednesday night, the choir director just stopped everyone, and, and I know he did this for me. He was trying to be gracious. He said, you know, why don't we rearrange where people are sitting right now, move people around? And then he, he pointed to me and said, David, you go stand right over there. And he took me between these two men who were really strong singers, Mr. Appleby and my dad, all right? And uh, as long as I had these two men with me, as long as I could hear their voices singing in my ear, as long as they were there with me, singing with me, I could sing. I could do it. 
And, 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 and Zephaniah here, he's calling on the people of Israel. I want you to sing. I don't care if you're in exile. I want you to sing. And they're like, how are we going to sing? We're in exile. We're, we've been devastated. We're discouraged. We're, maybe you feel that day. How am I going to sing? And so Zephaniah, he says, I'll tell you what. He, here's what's going to happen. He says, if you're having a hard time singing, the Lord himself, the Lord of glory, he's going to come and he's going to stand right next to you. And while you struggle to sing, you're going to hear his voice singing in your ear. Now, at, at Christmas time, we think about what, what theological doctrine do we think? We think about the incarnation, right? When, when the, the second person of tr the Trinity, the Son of God, when he, he took on human flesh and he came to live among us, and, and we say, well, why, why did Jesus come, to, the, the Son of God come to live among us? Well, he came, he came to do the Father's will, right? He, he came to teach us the, the, the truth of God, yes. He came to fulfill the law on our behalf, yes. He came to die on the cross for our sins, yes. But there's one place in, in Hebrews chapter 2 where it's discussing the incarnation. And this is so weird. It says one of the reasons the Son of God took on flesh and came to live among us, it says, he came down here to sing. He came down here to, to sing, to, to stand with the congregation, to join the, our choir and sing with us. You don't believe me, so let me quote the verses. Hebrews 2, verse 11 to 12. This whole passage is about the incarnation. It says, both the ones who make people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. He took on our flesh and blood. Same family. It says, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. The picture comes to mind for me is that, that God the Son looks down on us, his exiled people in our suffering, in our sorrow, in our sins, and we're just struggling to find our song. We can't sing the Lord's praises in a, in a strange land. So he says, you know what? Let me take on flesh and blood. Let me become one of them. Let me go join the choir. So while they struggle to sing, they can hear my voice in their ears. But Zephaniah adds a wrinkle to that thought that's even more amazing. He, he says that, listen, the Lord will come and join the choir. He will sing with you. But while you are trying to sing about how much you love the Lord, he'll be singing about how much he loves you. Doesn't that make you tremble? He will rejoice over you with singing. And that's sometimes hard to believe that God delights in you that much. I, I wonder if maybe those exiled Hebrews, if they thought it's just hard for them to believe that God really loves us that much. And it might be hard for you today. Maybe you're just so discouraged this morning and so weary and so tired and so confused. It's just hard to feel like God delights in you. That's okay. If you're struggling like that, it's okay. But I just want you to know that he does. In fact, the message of Advent is, is this. It, it's, the message of Advent is that God loves us so much. Isn't that hard to imagine? God loves us so much that in the person of his son, he came down here to be with us. And the message of Advent is that someday he will come back again 
so that for all eternity we can be with him. He delights in you. Whether you're singing today or not, maybe you don't feel like it. He's singing, believer. He's singing over you. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning for anyone who's really struggling that you believe that you love them that much. Maybe they've the struggle's been so pervasive and lifelong that they've never really trusted Christ to be their Savior. Oh, God, today, you, you're the only one that can convince us of your love. I pray that you would do that for them. And there may be others that are trusting Christ, but it just feels so discouraged, either by their own sins or the sins of others or the sorrow of life. So I, I thank you for your patience with us, but I pray that you would just help us to hear you singing your song of love for us today that we would receive it and rejoice in it. In Christ's name, amen.